whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. Hi, I'm Karen Pennington, and I love my mom. I love my daddy. My daddy has gone to be with the Lord, but I just love being his daughter. I had a teenage couple of years where I thought I knew better than him, and most of us have been through that. I thought I could live better on my own. You know, my parents were the worst. I was the smartest. And then I started to pay my own bills and live on my own, and I realized maybe they knew something after all. Uh, but anyways, I, I just... I'm so grateful and so blessed to have had parents who love me and who love the Lord. Not perfect, because none of us are perfect, but just always there, always loving. Good boundaries, gave me what I needed, helped me really understand who I was and always pushed me to become better. And I especially appreciate it now, working in the city where I do. I work with uh, inner city children, mostly in schools. And that can be such a wonderful blessing, and it can just be heartbreaking because I'm not even sure if we can say just inner city schools, just schools around. You see all of this brokenness. You see children who may not even know their father or mother, if they're even around, Uh, children whose parents sometimes have to work all the time and they don't get to see them, children who have parents who don't work at all, It's just heartbreaking to hear a child come in and say, Dad left the state again last night. Or I just have to be very careful what I say because we don't want to make Daddy mad or Mommy mad. We don't know what they do. Or I haven't seen my mom for five years. It's so heartbreaking. And, you know, it's no wonder why we're having some of the issues we do in society because our heritage, our sense of heritage is so vital to our sense of self and our sense of worth and our sense of destiny in a lot of ways until we as human beings can assign identity to where we've been it's hard for us to move forward to where we believe God wants us to go I think that may be why certain parts of the Bible that we don't really value are very valuable And I'm talking about the genealogies, you know, the so-and-so was father of so-and-so according to so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so was father of so-and-so, the the parts we normally skip. Uh, Or if you're a King James Version, he begat she, who begat she, who begat he, you know, the begats um, that we usually wish would be gone. And I know the first few times I read through the Bible, I skipped those. So I mostly read through the Bible and I just skipped these things. It's a very mess Western mind thought. I've actually heard that often, like in Africa and some other areas, other cultures, these are some of the best things because they're heritage. Uh, in today's society, we go, you know, I always like, you know, Karen, she's Charlie's, she's Charlie's kid. Well, I'm so proud of who Charlie is and was, or Charlie and Kathy's kid, and my mom is 
just the picture of kindness and integrity to me. So if I am a daughter of integrity, I can't think of too much more better to be other than maybe calling me a daughter of God. And I'm that too. But so the Bible gives us this sense of identity often through our heritage. Uh, even in the New Testament, they talk about being sons and daughters of Abraham. Now, Abraham in the Old Testament was the person who, uh, as Hebrews says, Hebrews 11 says, believe God and they credit it to him as, as righteousness. He was the father of this nation of Israel who were considered to be God's people. So in the New Testament, there was some kind of overhang of this because there was still, you know, Jesus was a Jew. And we were talking about the children of the promise. But there was like a new twist to it. And for a while, it had already, it kind of already been there. But they really just brought it out through Christ that we are the children of Abraham, not just if Abraham was the one who brought us up or Abraham's children or we were in that line. But as it says in Romans 9, 8, it is not the children of physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Now, who gets to receive the promise? Anyone who receives the promise. That's, that's, that can be all of us. It may or may not be you, depending on whether or not you've received this gift that God has given whether you have gone through that adoption where any, anyone who has been adopted, I hope your parents have let you know what they went through. There may not have been a physical birth, but there were years of waiting. There was a lot of money. There was a lot of hope and waiting and love. And you are no less their children than I am Kathy's daughter or Charlie's daughter. But I was just thinking this morning in terms of heritage, there's one set of begats or genealogies that really, really, truly interest me when you look into it. And that's the set, the most famous set of the New Testament. If you look at Matthew 1, he talks about the genealogy of Jesus. Now, Matthew was a tax, was, well, he was a Jew of all Jews. He was a disciple of Jesus. He had this prestige. He was Levi. That was his Hebrew name. But he also had this history of being someone who conspired with the Romans, and as the Jews would have seen it, against the Jews or against the Israelites. He was a tax collector. And it's interesting because in the other Gospels, Matthew is referred to as Levi, his Hebrew name, the follower of Jesus. In his own Gospel that he writes, Matthew always refers to himself as the Greek name. Uh, and I'm wondering, is that because he still recognized himself as a sinner? He talked about Jesus eating at a sinner's house, a tax collector's house. That's what Matthew had done. Or maybe, you know, that word Matthew sounds an awful like methetes in, in Greek, which actually means disciple or learner, someone who sat at Jesus' feet. Maybe it's both. Maybe in calling himself Matthew, he's saying, I'm a sinner, but I sit at Jesus' feet. So there's like this dual identity as belonging to God, valuable, called by God, an apostle, sent by God. Apostle literally means one who's sent. And at the same time, someone who recognizes I'm a sinner who's only saved by God's grace. I think that comes out in this Matthew 1 genealogy. It's like there are two layers. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not a big boys against girls person, but it's like there's this 
I'll just say it. There's there's this layer of gentlemen, not necessarily perfect, but what uh, uh, Israelite would have seen, what, what a Jew would have seen, is that you see Jesus is in the line of Abraham, which means, you know, Abraham was the father of nations. Jesus was also in the line of David, who was the great anointed one and the one through whom they knew that the king of all kings, that the savior of the world was going to come, the Messiah. Messiah meaning anointed one. That's what Messiah literally means, someone who's had oil poured on their head and that originally was speaking of, you know, kings. It could be prophets were anointed as well, but definitely this ultimate Messiah, the ultimate person that had God's anointing and dwelling within him so that he could be the ruler of all. One who served God and led everyone in his service, the servant leader and the suffering servant, all these things. Well, so we have this great little list of, you know, he was a son of Israel. He was the son of Abraham. He was the descendant of David. He was the descendant of kings. He was the descendant of Solomon, the greatest, most powerful, richest king, wisest king of all time, all of that. And then he threw in a few women too. And that's this is the interesting part because you can see the, I almost feel like Matthew related more to the women in his narrative. The guys were a list of names. You know, this is the whole pedigree, kind of like, you know, when you get a, um, there are certain kinds of animals that you get and they have to be certified as purebred. Jesus was purebred. He came straight from the top down, direct descendant of everybody whose line he was supposed to be. He was a purebred Israelite. And yet, let's look at the women. Verse three talks about the first female descendant that's brought up is Tamar. Now, I'm sorry if you had children listening. Because you might need to explain something to them. But Tamar, well, let me put it this way. Jesus was in the line of Tamar. Tamar could not have children with her husband or her husband's brother once her husband passed away. So Tamar had children with her father-in-law. So Judah's daughter-in-law was also the mother of Judah's offspring. And that's the first woman, woman that is that is mentioned there. Foreigner, of course. Now remember, they said they weren't supposed to mix with foreigners. Foreigners, not so much the foreigner itself, but the foreign gods. And this would have been a representative of a foreign god. Judah went outside of his family sphere um, and brought in some sin, actually. Although I imagine he had enough on his own. Rahab, just two verses later, was seen... Well, she was a prostitute. Let's just put it that way. She was Jericho. She was from the city of Jericho. That city where everybody but her and her family got destroyed. That's that first city that God was like, tear it down, tear everything in it down, take everything out, keep the gold for me, melt it down, whatever. I don't know if he said melt it down. Keep the gold for me, tear everything down. Everyone in the city is to be wiped out. And she was a prostitute who hid... I mean, just sat outside the law in so many different ways. And that's the other person in this purebred line of Jesus. Third, we have Ruth, who was a poor foreigner. Um, her father-in-law left his area, left the promised area, and went to Moab and got sons for his kids and then 
the sons died again, had some issues having kids, and she came back and she married somebody again in the line of Abraham as a poor beggar. She was a poor beggar uh, as a as a widow who had no way of doing anything, but she was a Moabite. That would have been significant to the Israelites because Moabites were not nice to them. They uh, put them into slavery a few times. They had lots of wars against them. They were not friends of Israel. So in that sense, they were not seen as friends to God. And yet this daughter of Moab became the mother of Christ. It's pretty crazy. Um, and then we have Bathsheba. You know Bathsheba had such prestige in this area. They didn't even mention her name in the genealogy. They just said that Solomon's mother had been the wife of Uriah. So they didn't even mention her. They mentioned her husband. Her husband did fight in the Israelite army, but he was a Hittite. So she not only was a foreigner, but there was this scandal and that she came to David through, well, it was David's most grievous, most popular sin, you know, the one that you know most about where David really messed up this man after God's own heart. And he impregnated her when she was married to someone else. And then when he impregnated her, he tried to cover it up by having her husband come home and getting him drunk. And when the husband, being the good soldier he was, saying, said, I'm not going to enjoy my wife while everyone else is at war, he sent people into battle that he knew they were going to lose and put Uriah on the front line. Just all this to cover up his sin. And I'm not a big believer in blaming Bathsheba for this. Maybe she had it. I mean, maybe. But then there was that idea that she was, you know, bathing in her own area. And David was the one standing on the rooftop looking over into her. David was the one who called for her. She purified herself. But either way, in this case, for a long time, she was seen as a temptress, like our king didn't sin and you made him sin. And so either way, there was shame attached to it, whether or not I, I wouldn't assign her necessarily guilt, but there was shame attached to this. This is not something that somebody doesn't want to be attached to this as a heritage. And then finally, last person, finally we get an Israelite in it. The last woman that's mentioned in this genealogy of Jesus is Jesus' own mother. One who, in some traditions, they feel like she was completely without sin, period. She definitely had a heart of purity. She definitely had a heart that, you know, said, whatever God's will be done. Why would God choose anybody else? I don't know. I don't believe anyone was without sin other than Christ. But she had a purity about her. And that was represented in her virginity. And that was beautiful. And at the same time, that would have been a scandal because Joseph would have, he, he did marry her. But anybody who could do the math would know that their marriage, even though it didn't consummate till after Jesus was born, anybody could do math and say, hmm, let's see, they were married in March. The baby was born in July. That doesn't add up. I know y'all have all done the math at one point or another. I remember my grandma telling me when she was married and when my mom was born and I started doing math. I was 11 years old. She said, 10 months, 10 months. <laughs> it was good. But back then, that's a huge thing. So we have Jesus was a child of the promise. 
Jesus was also a child of incest, a child of a prostitute, a child of a foreigner, a child of adultery, and a child of scandal. Or we can look at Tamar and say, this is someone who would have done anything to have a child. We can look at Rahab and say, in the whole city of Jericho, she was the only one brave enough and with enough faith to support God's people. Someone who had faith despite her failings. We can look at Ruth and say, a poor foreigner who's just trying to get a husband. Or we can look at Ruth and say, you know, she could have stayed in Moab, stayed in Moab, but instead she clung to her mother-in-law. We can look to somebody who has such great loyalty, even when loyalty wasn't required because she was the mother-in-law's son was not alive anymore. She took care of someone she didn't need to take care of. We can look at Bathsheba and say temptress. Or we can look at the fact that she purified herself. We can look at the fact that her husband was killed in battle, and yet she moved forward in loyalty and tried to do her best when she was given a pretty bad hand. We can also look at the fact that she was a mother of a wise man, which means she probably had something to do with that. And then obviously Mary. You see scandal, or you can see purity that defies scandal. You see, we all have this stuff in our history. We can... I know, I think it's my great-grandfather who was supposed to be the town drunk, which meant my grandfather was the son of the town drunk. And I can look at that, and I can see people, we all have people in our family who've suffered with some sort of mental illness or not. I can look at my own marriage and say, you know, I had to go through living through a lot of brokenness in my marriage. A lot of, I think, I, I don't know if I'd mentioned this before, there, there was disloyalty in my marriage. There was other things like that. I, I can look at all that and I can decide that that's what defines me. Just like you can look at this genealogy and you can see very clearly these women, but then you also have David, who's the one that committed the adultery, also a man after God's own heart. Judah, the one who is, was going to have Tamar killed, even though he impregnated her. You can look at the mess-ups, and there's a lot of them. I mean, the original written telenovela or soap opera is the Old Testament. You can look at that, or you can say, look at what God can do. Look at what God can do with a teen pregnancy. Create and raise the savior of the world. Look at what God can do with a prostitute who just made that one decision to support the right team and changed her life. Look at what God can do with a poor foreigner without a cent to her name who just decides to be loyal to someone who needs her. what God can do with a child that was conceived in a relationship that was once adulterous. Look what God can do with someone who struggled with drugs. Look at what God can do with a woman in an unloving marriage. That's in the Old Testament too, by the way. Look at what God can do with you.
Because you know what? Your mistakes, they are part of your heritage. But they're not part of your heritage always the way you think. They're part of the promise of what God can and will do because he's the great recycler. My heritage has a bunch of women in this passage who had some scandal attached to their name. But even more so, my heritage, my identity, is among women and men of God, where God took anything they were and used it and made some amazing out of it. And that's your future, too, if you allow God to enter and redeem. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're the great recycler. And when I think of failings and when I think of weaknesses among myself and those who've come before me, honestly, God, right at this moment, I'm getting excited because I know you can even use those. And I know we don't ever need to look for trouble. We don't even need to try to sin. When we do, when we make those, even, even you're bigger than our mistakes, God. Not only are you bigger than our mistakes, not only are you bigger than our weakness, not only are you bigger than any shame Satan would try to throw upon us, but you'll use those very, very things to create amazing in us, to create miracle in us, because that's what you do, God. God, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into danger. We don't want any, any more. We don't want to ask for any more than we already have, God, but we ask you to redeem that that we're in. We ask you to give us the eyes to see our past and in that to see your redemptive power that leads us into the future you would have us. God, you are good. You are the greatest part of our heritage and you are the only important part of our destiny. Thank you. Be blessed, my friend.